Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. And uh, I know it has been uh, said a few times, but um, happy Father's Day. And uh, I just wanted to just say thank you for the opportunity to uh, share with you again. I know it's because Pastor Adam is celebrating and having a wonderful time with his uh, daughter. And uh, I got to um, be a part of a a wonderful experience as a father and now a a father-in-law. So it's a great experience. Uh, so, anyways, I wanted to start out with something because I know it's Father's Day, and how can we have a Father's Day without a, dad, a few dad jokes? So, if I want to go on the record here saying that uh, I don't claim to uh, think these are hilarious, but they did bring a chuckle to myself. And if you know the answer, please don't shout it out. You can whisper it maybe to your neighbor if you know it, and that's fine. But uh, here we go. So, I got three. Uh, so, here we go. What happens when a microscope bangs into a telescope? A kaleidoscope. I need the the drums or something, right? All right. All right. Two more. All right. Why do seagulls fly over the ocean? If they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. Okay. Oh, I like that. There we go. I like that. (laughs) All right, last one. Um, What is Jesus' favorite car to drive? A Chrysler. (laughs) Hey, all right. (laughs) I'll be here next weekend as well, so if... uh, All right, so let me, let me pray and open up with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for um, the gift of dads, um, and we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. And so, Father, I just pray right now that your word would be able to penetrate our hearts, uh, and more importantly, our minds, and more importantly, that there would be a change in our behavior because we heard from you. Uh, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So I want to share something with you on a more serious note. And uh, I have this slide here, and I was really blown away with this. I'm not a numbers guy. Um, you can see that for yourself. I'm not going to read it. Um, but what st- struck me was the 18.4 million children, which means one in four without a biological step or adoptive father at home. One in four. Um, so fathers, I pray that you are continually, faithfully uh, loving your children and just continue to pour into them the word of God. And that's really my message today, um, so we can leave and you can uh, go home and do those things. But that's really, um, you know, when I saw this, and I didn't even know there was a national fatherhood initiative. When I started doing research, I just wanted to see, you know, what, what is it about fathers? What, how can we improve as fathers? What are the goals that we can do as fathers? How can we continue to love as fathers? especially when it comes to the Word of God. So considering this, uh, what is our calling as fathers? And, and today I want you to know that even though I'm speaking directly to the fathers, this does not mean mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts, tios, titis, all that. Remember, this is all of our responsibilities as believers in Christ. But today I just felt like this is for us as fathers, and you'll see hopefully why I say that. But what is our calling as fathers? So I'm going to read to you our passage because I think it's important to kind of um, get the gist of it. And then we'll, we'll go and we'll dig into it a little bit deeper verse by verse. So this is what it says in Psalm 78, starting at verses 1 through 8. And follow along as it's there. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. 
Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. In verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Thank you. <laughs> Whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. This is our word today. So this psalm, starting here, um, is a wisdom psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a contemporary of King David. And we don't really know who he was, but this is a wisdom psalm. And the psalm teaches us to remember Israel's history from Egypt all the way through to King David. And a lot of things, if you've read your Bible of any length of time, wonderful things have happened. Remember, this is an oral tradition. They didn't have the scripture like we have today. So the stories were passed down from generation to generation. They told these stories time after time again. And there's a reason why, and we'll get into that in a minute. In a minute. It records also the Israel's failure as a rebellious and stubborn people, as it says. But it also records God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. And so the writer Asaph, the contemporary King David, wants us to hear and listen to him because he's sharing something important. And he wants us to listen. He wants us to understand. And he also wants us to not only listen and understand, but there would be some type of change in our behavior, our change in how we respond to God. So let's look at verse 1. It says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. And so the writer Asaph begins by getting their attention. And he, he gathers them and he says, I want you to hear this. And it's necessary, right? If we want people to kind of listen to us, there's a few ways we can do it. If you're from, if you're from the hood, you kind of just yell louder. Hey, you know, you do this. If you're in school, you might raise your hand. Maybe you do something to get their attention. As I used to teach, I used to, and the kids would stop, and they'd do the same thing, right? Because I got their attention. It was this way to kind of gather, and this is what Asaph is trying to do for us here. Asaph really wants us to listen and understand so that we would have a change in our behavior. Because you can, you can hear something, right? I could be watching TV, listening to the TV, and hear some background noise. He doesn't want that background noise. He wants to, to listen so that there would be a change in behavior. And so we get to verse two. He says, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Now notice he says this is a parable, which is very interesting as I started to research and look at this. But a parable is a common experience of life or an event of history, and it brings alongside and it uses to teach a spiritual truth or a lesson. It uses the realm of life to illuminate something else. So for example, in Matthew 13, I think is a, a key principle and it's, and it's crucial for this passage. We have the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. And that's all found in Matthew 13. And so we read this here in Matthew 13, and I'm going to read it from here because I think there was a, 
something that I had uh, realized. But anyways, in verse, uh, starting at verse 10, it said, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? So Jesus replies, and he says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when he has, will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Matthew is saying that the parables have the power to conceal or reveal God's hidden truth within these parables. For others, if they hear this parable, they say, oh, that's a cute it's a cute story. Oh, the parable of the mustard seeds. Oh, the tiniest of the seeds grows up and it ends up being a beautiful, huge tree. Oh, that's great and wonderful. But for us, for us, there's something more powerful there. It's the key to salvation. So that's where these hidden truths are. That's, that's why these, th- these are the things that Asaph is, is speaking of. And so only the eyes and ears of faith can listen and understand the truth that is being taught within these parables. So we get to verse 3 and 4 in Psalms. He says, Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Asaph is not bringing something new to them. Remember, this is the time of between the Exodus and King David. And so he's revealing to them, God's people already know and know the stories of Yahweh and how Yahweh saved them. The ancestors have shared the, the wonderful stories of the past, right? The Exodus, all the way through, you have the parting of the Red Sea. And so he's revealing to them and reminding them of these stories. Asaph wants them to pass on the stories to the next generation. Why are these stories so important? Why is it that we need to continue to tell the stories of what God has done to our people? And Asaph wants them to pass on the stories because he knows that this is a responsibility, and it's a responsibility not to hide these stories. We should be telling our children these stories. And I think we should be telling our children these stories too. And this is what Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. These commandments that I give to you today are able to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. The idea is what? At every opportunity, every chance you get, you should be telling your children these stories. Fathers, teach your children and reinforce the stories of how God worked in your life. Fathers, tell the stories of, how, of faith to your children. You have this wonderful, unique opportunity to share a story, how God revealed himself to you. Tell that to your children. Share how God worked and provided a miracle when you needed it most. Tell how you grew in your understanding of God's word. Be role models, live and in living color, by your attitudes and your actions. Do your children even know how you came to faith? Do your children know your testimony of how you accepted Christ? They knew the, do they know the stories of your faith? There can be no, at least in my opinion, 
parental neutrality when it comes to raising the children God gave you. It's our responsibilities as fathers to share the word of God. It is our duty to impress upon their hearts and wonders of God in your lives. Fathers, you have something to share with your children and grandchildren. I have a illustration for this, and this is uh, a personal story. So on my mom's side, I have a grandfather who, when I was a little boy, to me, he was kind of, uh, I'm going to put it mildly, but he used to drink too much. Uh, he was uh, abusive by today's standards, but he would take out his belt and hit us. Uh, and I was afraid of him at times. But then something happened in his life. A pastor intervened in the life of my grandmother and grandfather. Now, my grandmother was always going to church. My grandfather, not so much at that time. But this pastor would come to my grandmother and grandfather's apartment and would just pour into him. And at some point, I don't know the exact date, I don't know when it happened, he accepted Christ because then his life was changed and transformed. He stopped the drinking. He didn't hit us, at least not as much anyways. <laughs> he stopped hitting us. And then I got to actually know him. Now I want you to know, I was probably, I mean, I was still in elementary school. So I was in junior high at that time. And then I remembered as I got to know him more and more, as my cousins were getting married and I was still wasn't married yet, he came up to me one time. He says, David, don't rush to get married. He says, one, the day will come when you will find that woman and you will know. He was right. <laughs> but it's those little nuggets of understanding, those little nuggets that he poured into me as he was a follower of Christ that I cherish. These are the stories that we have in our own personal lives. These are the things that God has done that laid the groundwork for where you are right now, why you're sitting here, and why you should be able to pass those stories on and share them with your children, just like the people in the time of King David were sharing the stories of crossing the Red Sea. Can you imagine being there and seeing that? Well, we have our own miracles in our lives, and these are the things we need to share with our children and hopefully our grandchildren, and maybe great-grandchildren. And by the way, again, I'm taking some liberties here, but if you don't share the truth of God, and you are in fact hiding or concealing God's truth from your children, and possibly um, the next generation, um, I feel like um, you're doing a disservice. Um, we need to be sharing these stories. It's our responsibility as fathers to share the word of God. There can be no neutrality in a home because neutrality about God, I, I believe, is itself a form of belief, an anti-God belief. If neutrality is the attitude of parents, it will become the attitude of the children. When we all fail to communicate God's word to our children, we are guilty of hiding the most important truth in the world. And that's denying our children to know who the truth is. So to sum up what Asaph shares, I have these three points which we kind of covered, but not so much in, in length. But the first one is the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, teaching them that God was worthy of your adoration and gratitude. The second one is God's power and greatness above and beyond all. And the third is the wonders he has done in your life and the life of your family.
It's essential for us to pass on what we learned through the years. We should be speaking about our experiences, our triumphs, as well as our mistakes. Tell that unfolding story of God and the wonderful things he has done as you journey together with your children, teaching them about prayer and faith and scripture. This is one of the greatest missions, if not the greatest missions, as, as fathers and as parents. We have this command as fathers and parents to teach our children and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Deuteronomy again, chapter 4, verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. And then Psalm chapter 78, verse 5, it says, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So Asaph describes one of the greatest of God's praiseworthy deeds, and that's the giving of God's word to Israel. The English Standard, uh, Standard Version says he established a testimony in Jacob. In other words, he revealed the Old Testament scriptures and entrusted them to the nation of Israel, just as today he entrusted the Bible to the church. The inspired and authoritative, infallible word of God was shown to be real and not some fairy tale as the world would have you believe. You have your testimony. You have how you came to faith. You have your miracles to share and prove that God is real and that his word is too because it's in you, live and active, working in your life. If we don't share and pour into our children, then we fall victim to the philosophies of the world and the lies that deceive them. And if you look at the world today, you can see what's going on in our world. It is God's word that can shed light in the darkness. It is a wonderful advantage that God gave and committed his word to his people. That's us. And in turn, we pass it along to the next generation. It's been God's plan all along for the parents to be the primary voice in their children's lives. Fathers. It's our responsibility for the spiritual condition of our families. And by the way, fathers, and I say this because I'm just in this like you, providing for your family means more than putting food on the table and a roof over their head. It means teaching and modeling God's word with biblical values and priorities. This is all done with love and grace and patience and loving discipline, understanding and encouragement. As we as fathers and parents, we are the primary source of communicating the word of God to our children. And children, be patient with us. <laughs> it's a hard, hard process, isn't it, as fathers, as mothers, as we teach our children. They don't get it yet. Maybe one day if God blesses them with children, they will understand. But it's not easy. I was just talking to someone earlier and saying, there's no, there's no book that can tell you how to be a father. There's plenty out there. You can read them until Jesus comes back, but when you're in it, it's totally different. So this word here in verse 5, the word teach, is the Hebrew word yada, and it means to make known or to declare and if that word looks sort of familiar to you, it's because it does come from Star Wars. That's where I looked it I actually looked it up. I Googled it, so Google can't be wrong, right? George Lucas got the word. It's a Sanskrit word. And the word, he changed a Yoda 
and it really means one who knows. That's who Yoda is, one who knows. He's wise. That, that's Yoda. So that's where we get this word from. But the word yada is an imperative. So that means we have to do this. We are commanded by God to do this. So we are commanded to teach our children. We're commanded by God to share the knowledge that there is a spiritual understanding. Remember, the understanding is that they would hear you, no, that they would listen to you, and there would be a change in behavior. That's where the understanding comes in. And we teach our children to know and depend on God for their lives. Someone said, we spend thousands of dollars straightening children's teeth, but we stand by as they develop crooked hearts and twisted lives. If we don't teach with understanding, our children will follow the ways of the world instead of following Jesus. So verse 6 kind of explains it. Why do we teach our children? So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Can you see the progression? You see this clause, uh, even the children yet to be born. These are the grandchildren. This is the next generation. Not only should our children be taught, but they should also teach the next generation, which is our grandchildren, so that the word of God will continue throughout the generations. The idea is that they were never to lose sight of their history during their lifetime. There's a show that I like to watch on um, PBS. I think that's where it originated from, and it, I think it has to do with Ancestry.com. I don't know if you guys have seen that. But I think when it first started, it was the common person. Someone would, you know, there's this whole series of how they would do this, but um, they would look up their ancestry. And then they would find out where their family came from because they thought, oh, maybe they originated in this country. And then when they traced the lineage and the family, it actually was from somewhere else. But I love watching it. Now I think they use celebrities for that kind of thing. But either way, you, you watch this and, and there's something that happens when the couple or the person finds out where their family came from. Tears are shed. Minds are blown. Why? Because they said, wait a minute, I thought... Where did they come from? They were a slave? They, they, were, they were in what country? They, they walked how many miles? They, they had their own business? Oh, they lost their business? They, they used to have a home. They don't have a home. They were homeless. And, and when they find out what happened and where they are today, there's something special that happens because as they followed their ancestors, they followed this lineage, all of a sudden it became like their history. And they took ownership of it. And they were proud. And they're like, wow, we did this. My family did this. And it's the same thing for us as believers. We have a host of generations. We came from Father Abraham. All our ancestors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, where they've come from, how far they've come, and look where we are today. And there's something proud that you as believers can say, wow, we've done all of this. And together, corporately, we can be proud of our history, our lineage as believers in Christ and where we've come from and where we're going. We all share the responsibility to continue to share the stories and what we learn. And then verse 7 continues, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So this word trust here, 
This word trust in verse 7 is more like confidence. It's, it's, this, it's the idea of the loins and the flank. When I looked at it, I was like, what is he talking about here? The loins are the body between the abs and the hips, right? I want to say it's like the Bible's already talking about the core before the core even became a fad in our generation. Okay, because this is important right in here, right? This is the confidence. From this came hope and confidence. And if we take care of the core physically, right, what does it tell us? That the rest of our body is going to be in pretty good shape. So this is why if we can take care of the trust, the flanks here in Scripture, we're going to be in pretty good shape here. Our goal is that our children will come to faith on their own. It has this idea that hope and confidence that we can depend on. And as we share Christ's story, our children will begin to trust God on their own. And then in time, they will build the trust and confidence. Their core, their mental core, their heart core, their action core, if you will, they will begin to trust God. Fathers and parents, just because you have faith in God and trusted in Christ, it doesn't mean that our children have, right? They have to come to Jesus on their own. And it's hard being a parent because as we look and see our children make their own choices, we already can see the outcome. And sometimes it's not so good. But we have to let them go sometimes. It's hard as parents. We have to let them go and choose their own path sometimes. We want to reel them back in and say, no. But we have to let them go sometimes because they have to develop the trust themselves. They have to learn to depend and trust on God on their own. But if we've done all that other stuff preceding to that, we have to trust as well and trust in God. They're going to make the right choices down the road. Hopefully, our lives model what it's like to live for Christ. Then our children will make their own choices and choices that we can be proud of. We do this because the purpose of communicating to the next generation is that our children will learn to trust God for themselves. Never forgetting, again, going back to his praiseworthy deeds. It means working to help our children develop a personal relationship with the Lord by faith so that the confidence and conviction of the parents becomes the confidence and conviction of our children. Finally, if we do our part as brothers, as, listen to me, as fathers and parents, then we won't fall into the trap of verse 8. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. This warning brings back the remembrance of the action of the wilderness. We know that story. We know of how far God took them across the, the Red Sea and then when they got into the wilderness and all the things that happened, but then they became a rebellious and stubborn people. Our children are born... And I know that as we, you could put the next slide up, I know that when we look at our children, we think, oh, they're so cute and cuddly. Look at the most beautiful baby God gave me. I want you to know your kids were born with a sinful nature. We all were, weren't we? That's just the facts, right? That's the facts. We love them. God gave them to us. And so it is our responsibility as fathers and parents to train them up in the way they should go. So as they get old, the words the scripture says, they will not depart from it. To the writer of Psalm 78, losing trust in God and forgetting his praiseworthy deeds would lead to disobedience. If we're doing what we're supposed to do as fathers, our children will likely follow the Lord. 
The writer of Psalm 78 in this verse describes the previous generations in Israel as stubborn and rebellious. The hearts were not loyal to God and the spirit was not, and the spirit was not, um, they were not faithful to God. The focus is more on heart and attitude than on action. And that was hard for me to really understand when I said, wait a minute, the heart, it's the attitude more on the heart, the focus is more on the heart and attitude than on the action. And that's why someone like King David could be called a man after God's own heart. Look at his life. Look at King David. How is he called a man after God's own heart? David was a murderer, an adulterer, and his children were out of control. His house was a mess. But he always came back to God because he learned and he listened. He changed his behavior. He was repentant. And he understood how God worked throughout his life. The focus was more on heart and attitude than on his actions. Godly children don't happen by chance. Godly children are the result of fathers and mothers who set their hearts aright to know and walk with God. The hope is they will grow and depend on God for themselves. If this is going to happen, there must be an understanding of the past. As fathers, we use those teaching moments that are relevant to the current situation. This teaching explains what is happening and hopefully what happened in the past and then we can bring it to the present. As we've learned to trust God, we tell these stories to our children. They begin to hear the stories, make sense of it in their mind. They change their behavior, and then they go on and trust God for themselves. Fathers and parents, this is our calling. No matter how old you get, I know myself and my mom still says that I'm her, I'm her son. doesn't matter how old. and doesn't matter how old we get. Don't repeat the mistakes of Israel. Don't become rebellious and stubborn. There's a spiritual battle going on for the lives of our children today. Let's not turn our backs on them when they need us the most. This is our calling as fathers, as parents. And I want to encourage you to continue to do what you're doing by pointing into your children. Continue to read those stories. I can remember reading children's stories Bible stories to our kids. Now those Bible stories are different, but they're still Bible stories. Some of those stories are your stories. Some of those stories of how you've grown, how you nurtured, how you've grown in your faith. Share those with your kids. Be real to them. So I want to encourage you to keep, keep on keeping on, as some people used to say, and to teach your children about the wonderful works of God. So I close you with this to encourage you, and a little laughter, this next slide. And remember, happy Father's Day. God bless you. Have a good day.